0: Today's episode is brought to you by DB. DB is a Scandinavian brand that makes backpacks and bags to help people on the move stay ready for anything. From the streets to the peaks, DB's gear is travel tested by some of the world's best athletes, adventurers, and
1: creators. Over the past decade, DB has designed and developed, released, and refined the best bags in the market. With DB's patented hookup system, you are able to attach smaller products to your backpack, roller, or tote.
0: This is going to be a total game changer for me post-pandemic, and when things start opening up again, I will be going to a lot of conferences and meetings all across the country, and I have a service dog, so the idea that I can kind of combine everything into one simple system and have a backpack that actually fits all of my gear and Willie's is phenomenal. I can't imagine traveling again like I did, you know, two years ago with Willie, where I was struggling with my bags. Willie was not happy with everyone at the airport staring at him thinking he was an emotional support dog that they could just pet <laughs> so this will kind of help streamline our day-to-day at the airport and make things a lot easier
1: we are teaming up with db to exclusively offer our listeners 10 percent off your next purchase by using the code pod 10 or going to the link in our show notes that's pod D one zero db it's time to move on time to get going The Oracle Network. Hello and welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel.
0: Hello. Hello. How's it going? It's going. <laughs> I feel the same. <laughs> it's been a very long week.
1: Yes, it has. This is our last episode of September before we enter into spoopy October. Spoopy season. October. Mm-hmm. Spoopy season spoiler alert, this one has a lot of French in it, and Uh we all know how great I am at languages, so I will do my best.
0: I also, I don't know why, but I feel like the French stuff is always just like so messed up from back then. Mm -hmm. Like the whole like, pigs are eating faces of children. It's like, yeah, because you didn't feed them. Like, I get it. It's horrific. But also, like, stop it.
1: Brought this on yourself.
0: Just, like, fucking feed at the boll weevils in the vineyard. I don't know. Something.
1: Yeah. So this week we are going to be talking about Marie-Joseph Corivoux. Have you heard of her?
0: No, but I feel like she's a poisoner.
1: No. Oh. We'll get into it. Okay information was pulled from the following sources: a 2017 Atlas Obscura article by Eric Granthauser, 2017 Headstuff article by Kieran Conleaf, a 2007 The Canadian Encyclopedia article by John A. Dickinson, Dictionary of Canadian Biography, volume 3 by Luke LeCoursier, the book Uncertain Justice: Canadian Women and Capital Punishment 1754 to 1953. Chapter 2 by F. Murray Greenwood and Beverly Boiserie. Sorry if I said your name wrong. And Wikipedia.
0: Okay, so that had some clues.
1: Yep. And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. So So now you know we are in Canadia,
0: French Canadia.
1: Yes. The best of the Canadias.
0: (laughs) And there's capital punishment involved. Yep. An entire chapter's worth. Mm Mm-hmm
1: in a book.
0: Is that big font or little font? How is the spacing?
1: All right. In 1763, life outside Quebec, Ontario, Canada was a little tense. In 1759, the British had taken the city, and Father Thomas Blondoux of the Saint-Valier parish could tell that the frequent patrols through the village was taking a toll on the people. Of course, everyone did their best to put on a brave face whenever the redcoats were about, but as soon as it was safe to do so, gossip would run rampant among the villagers, as it often does, and the object of their vitriol was most often the Corivu family. Oh, The family head of the Corivu clan was a man named Jacques, who was the captain of the village militia and who kept the peace. His cousin Joseph was a wealthy farmer who was married to marie Francois Bolduc. Okay. So that's where she comes in. That's the mom. Marie Corivoux, who is the main person of this story, Mm -hmm. was born in January or February of 1733 in St. Valier, New France, which we've we've talked about in the past, which is now modern-day Quebec. She was baptized on May 14, 1733, and had nine siblings that all died in infancy
0: that's horrifying yeah no. so she
1: is the sole survivor of 10 children
0: jeez mhm i can't imagine what kind of psychological toll that would have taken on her mom
1: yeah no kidding from what i read later on in the story i don't think they had a whole lot of love for each other but that could have just been the context of what was what i was reading about yeah they don't really go into her childhood much yeah Marie married a farmer named Charles Bouchard on November 17th, 1749, at the age of 16, and Charles was 23. Gross. Yeah. Marie had three children with Charles. Marie-Francois in 1752, Marie-Angelique in 1754, and Charles Jr. in 1757.
0: Why? Why do you name your children your name?
1: They went by francois and angelique but yeah i don't know it must it must be a french can a french thing i don't know
0: it just seems so ridiculous yeah like we're gonna name i'm gonna give you my name but you can never use it yeah what yeah stop it
1: her husband charles died on april 27th 1760 leaving marie a widow at the age of 27
0: Uh oh that's not a good time frame
1: no nope. Fifteen months later, Marie married again, this time to a man named Louis-Hélène Dogy on July 20th, 1761, at the age of 28. I could not find how old this person was. Okay. So, your guess is as good as mine.
0: I imagine him being older than her again.
1: Yeah, I just don't know by how much.
0: I can imagine him being like, I can take care of your family, Marie. My name is Louis. Marie. I got you. I have fares. <laughs> this marriage wasn't a good one. Great. <laughs> Never mind. I'm not <laughs> going to take care of you at all. You're trash. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it was often the source of town gossip since Louis made a number of contracts with his father-in-law, who he did not get along with. Ooh. These included a contract to rent his home for the half ownership of a horse that he could keep in his stables and so on and so forth.
0: That's kind of funny.
1: We both own this horse. I feel like half. I own the top half.
0: I feel like a half. Yeah. <laughs> half ownership of the horse is like a rental car.
1: Like, yeah. No, pretty much. A,
0: a leased car. Yep. Yeah. Like you still own it, but I'm going to drive it.
1: <laughs> yep. Feed it, <of> carrots. <laughs> You can feed it oats, i want to feed it carrots, so it loves me more.
0: This horsepower runs on grains.
1: <laughs> Turbo. A year later, in the summer of 1762, the friction between the men exploded to the point that it escalated into legal matters, which required the commanding British officer, Major James Abercrombie, to keep an almost constant eye on the pair.
0: I'm sorry, but I really love the fact that they're like, it got to such a boiling point that they sued each other. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I know it probably was like aggressive and physical too, but it's just so funny. Because when you think of like things r- reaching a boiling point, they're going to just start like beating each other up. But it's like, no, I'm going to sue you. <laughs> Prepare for legal action. That turbo is mine.
1: <laughs> Major Abercrombie thought Joseph was usually in the wrong. And that's the doubt. Mm -hmm. And he maintained this stance when Marie approached him petitioning for permission to leave Luis, who she claimed was constantly physically abusing her. Oh, I hope that's not true. On January 26th, 1763, Joseph once more approached the major and claimed that Luis had assaulted him. This time, it wasn't just his word against Luis's. There was a witness to the attack. However... Major Abercrombie refused to pursue any course of legal action against Luis until he'd had a chance to talk to the witness.
0: Makes sense. This
1: angered Joseph, who muttered in disgust as he walked away, stating, quote, some misfortune will happen, end quote. Ooh, that's ominous. It probably won't surprise you to hear that they found Luis's body the next morning in his stable. The villagers had no doubt that it was Joseph's doing. They, like the Major, believed that Joseph was a violent man.
0: Fun. So let's keep let's keep Marie in that house with her children. That sounds great. Mm-hmm. Good idea, everyone. Mm-hmm.
1: The villagers began to do what they did best. Gossip, stating that Joseph had killed Marie's first husband, Charles, by hitting him with a curry comb, which is a tool used to groom horsehair. I feel like I mentioned it somewhere else in here and it might've gotten lost, but a curry comb also has like metal teeth. Oh, ow. And sometimes it it has serrated blades cause it like cuts oh, like the hair thins, too.
0: Yeah. Like thins the hair out. Kind of like shearing a little bit. Yeah. Getting like undercoats and stuff.
1: Yeah. So the assumption is it would do some damage cause it's got metal teeth or little tiny serrated blades. Out Even so, the villagers wanted to keep this crime amongst themselves and not involve the British. Father Blondoux met with Joseph's cousin Jacques, stating that as the captain of the militia, he should enlist a group of seven or eight men that had no relation to the Cori Vu line to operate as a coroner's jury. Father <sighs> Blondoux offered his services to document the proceedings. So...
0: This is going to go well.
1: Yeah. After the report had been completed, Captain Corrie went to Major Abercrombie's headquarters, where the Major related to the Captain that he had slipped in the stables and been trampled to death by his horses. That's his understanding of what happened to Louise. Okay. The Major thought it all seemed a little too convenient and related to the Captain, quote, I fear Corrie has done the deed, end quote. The Captain quickly denied these claims by stating, quote, on the honor of my family, he has not, quote. Ooh, those are fiery words. He then produced the report that Blondoux had written to confirm his story. The captain swore to the major that both he and his son had seen horseshoe marks upon Luis's corpse. Interesting. Yeah. The day after his body had been discovered, Luis was buried at saint Vallier on January 28, 1763. Normally, that would be the end of it. But something seemed off to the major, and he had reason to be suspicious.
0: Dun, dun, um, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs>
1: something is afoot. I feel like this is the part where if this was CSI Miami, I'd be taking my sunglasses off. Yep. Sergeant Alexander Fraser paid the major a visit two days after Luis's burial. After hearing of the death, Sergeant Fraser had immediately traveled to the barn to assess the corpse himself. The major's frustration only grew when the sergeant confirmed his suspicions. The wounds that Louise had sustained could not have been made by a horse, let alone several horses. What? I know. Oh, no. The wounds were too sharp, and the sergeant believed they were actually caused by the dung forks that were used in the stables.
0: What? (laughs) You have to be really strong and really upset to murder somebody with one of those because i can imagine mm-hmm. that that's not easy to wield yeah or pierce
1: yeah oh. according to village gossip louise's horses were unshod, so it would have been impossible for them to make the wounds that louise had sustained because they didn't have horseshoes
0: oh give them shoes give them shoes hashtag give them shoes hashtag save the horses
1: the major had no reason to doubt one of his officers. So he had the regiment's surgeon examine Luis's body. So I don't know if they like dug him back up. I'm assuming so because he yeah, was buried right away. I've had to. He found that he'd sustained four head wounds about three inches from each other. One was near Lu- Luis's upper lip and had quote penetrated through the flesh and upper jaw, end quote.
0: Oh no. uh. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Uh. <laughs> nope. Another wound was found below one of his eyes and was about four inches deep. (laughs) He'd also sustained two blows to the left side of his head that ultimately broke his skull. His lower jaw was also fractured, even though there were no visible wounds. Following the examination, the surgeon agreed with the sergeant's initial assessment. A horse, whether wearing a shoe or not, could not have inflicted the type of injuries that had killed Louise. You don't know.
0: What if a horse had a knife in its mouth?
1: (laughs) (laughs) For it was wearing a high-heel shoe, and it was just like, poke, poke, poke.
0: Sir, sir, I do not wish to be brushed today.
1: You did not feed me carrots, as promised.
0: I asked for apples. I will murder you now.
1: It was apparent to all that Louise had been the victim of foul play, and once the news had gone public, everyone, including the British, believed that Joseph had killed louise during one of his many fits of rage with one of the dung forks to the surprise of many the major believed that louise's widow had also been an accomplice in his murder Hmm. so both marie and her father joseph were arrested sent to quebec and thrown into jail interesting the question then became how and who would be trying them so we're going to get into it all right britain had taken possession of canada according to the right of conquest. But Britain and France were currently in the process of negotiations regarding the end of the Seven Years' War.
0: That makes sense. So it's kind of not a good time for legal issues. Yeah. It's a little muddy.
1: Mm -hmm. Both countries debated on whether Britain should get France's, quote, vast acres of snow, end quote, in North America. (laughs) Cheap shot. Or the island of Guadalupe. France eventually signed the Treaty of Paris in February 1763 to cede New France, essentially Canada and Acadia, to Britain. However, New France wouldn't be made aware of this until May of 1763, and right now it's January. Uh Uh-oh. Governor Murray took charge of the city of Quebec on behalf of Britain in 1759. His modus operandi was that, quote, necessity has no law. End quote. And since they were conquering New France, they could do whatever the fuck they wanted.
0: Awesome. This is my snow fort.
1: <laughs> yep. Winter is coming and I'm going to kill everyone. Yep. During that first year, he had no problems hanging three people without any sort of trial, not to mention awesome. whipping men and women in town. Perfect. It wasn't until the rest of Canada surrendered that any type of order was restored under the Governor-General Francois de Ragoud de Vaudreuil. Awesome. At this time, criminal and civil matters were dealt with by the military courts. Oh. Yeah. Perfect. This included rape, extortion, assault, abuse, civil responsibility, contract disputes. You get the idea.
0: Yeah, cuz you know, contract disputes are so need to be just as harsh as rape and murder charges. It's
1: fine. Yeah. Yeah, get the military involved in that. <laughs> as you can imagine, the sentences were pretty harsh. For example, one young man that was convicted of robbery received 1000 lashings. Awesome. Another was convicted of extortion and received the same sentence. Wow. Yeah. They like to whip people.
0: So much for like white
1: collar crimes being less of a charge. Mm-hmm. This new system of justice considered themselves lenient. Some sentences involved restitution, such as in a case where a child was seriously injured. The offender was ordered to pay the surgeon's expenses to the father, which was mm-hmm. 30 pounds or around 6,000 pounds today. Ouch. And further punishment would be enacted should the child die from the wounds that he had sustained.
0: We will inflict the same wounds and not
1: have oh, any surgeon Help you. I can only imagine. Eye for an eye. This legal system followed a pattern that was described by General Jeffrey Amherst. Quote, "...that was respect to thefts and murder. It is absolutely necessary the military law should take place." But with regard to differences between the inhabitants, I would have them settled among themselves, agreeable to their own laws and customs, End quote. Yeah. So, voice of reason, but obviously it's the, the British one. didn't think that way. Yeah. So, in essence, if Joseph and Louise hadn't fought so much, or at least if Jacques the captain of the militia had been able to deal with his cousin without Major Abercrombie having to get personally involved, then they probably wouldn't be in the position they were in right now attempting to cover up a murder.
0: Awesome.
1: Joseph and his daughter Marie were to stand trial before the military in a general court-martial that consisted of 13 officers, one of which acting as president-judge, while the others assumed the roles of jury and judges. The trial began on March seventeen sixty three. Two months after Louise's death at Urleens Convent in Quebec City, Major Abercrombie, along with Sergeant Fraser and the military surgeon, provided evidence and a timeline of events that led them to believe that Louise had been murdered.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Father Blondue admitted in court that the document he compiled included information that had only been related to him secondhand. He had never seen Louise's body and the report had been written in an effort to protect the good name of the Corivoux family.
0: Interesting. hmm Sounds about right.
1: When called to the witness stand, Jacques explained why he did what he did the day after Louise's death. After learning from his son of Louise's passing, he did what he believed was best to protect his family by following Father Blondeau's advice and assembling a coroner's jury and a false report. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Protect your family by doing a false report. In an occupied area.
1: Yeah. Perfect. Charles Denis, who was the next witness called to the stand, testified that he'd heard from the captain that if the matter wasn't handled correctly by the people of St. Valier, then Major Abercrombie would get involved, and the people were scared enough of the British to want to avoid that as much as possible.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Charles also shared that Joseph's maid had heard him get up in the night before hearing, quote, a great screech, end quote, after which he returned home. Hmm. The most damning evidence came from Claude Dion, a laborer who lived with Louise and Marie. Remember how Joseph had claimed there was a witness to when Luis attacked him? Yeah. This is that guy. Uh-oh. Now that he was under oath, his side of events were a bit different than what Joseph claimed. Claude stated that two nights before Louise's death, Joseph had gone to his son-in-law's stable to collect the horse they shared, but Louise refused to release the horse to him until it had been fed. After this, Joseph screamed, quote, a great deal of ill language, end quote, at Louise, threatening that he wouldn't, quote, be long master of this horse, end quote, and that he would rather die than continue the relationship he currently had with his son-in-law.
0: Well, that's uh, funny you should say that. (laughs) Yeah. Mm, Careful what you wish for.
1: Yeah. During the scuffle that took place, Joseph tried to hit Louise in the stomach with the butt end of his whip, which was the true account of what happened. So Joseph was the one that instigated the fight, not Louise. So, okay. At supper time the following night, Louise demanded that Marie serve him dinner as soon as he entered the house, stating that he'd worked very hard for it. In response, she replied, quote, You eat well, but don't work much, and perhaps you will not eat very long, end quote.
0: Oh, damn.
1: An enraged Louise slapped Marie several times after this. Awesome. Claude noted that he learned of Louise's death the next morning from a soldier, so he rushed to the stable to see for himself and saw that he, quote, had been murdered and not killed by his horses, which were not shod, end quote. Mm -hmm. Upon entering the house, he came upon Marie, who was sobbing, Quote, my poor Louise is dead. His horses were vicious, they killed him. End quote. Yeah. Claude told her that it was impossible for the horses to have killed him. Quote, Go see him, he has holes in his head. These cannot be caused by the horses which are not shod. End quote. Marie then asked him, quote, then who killed him? End quote.
0: Hmm.
1: Captain Jacques's son was also called to testify. The morning Louise's body was found, Joseph came to Jacques's house, and after telling him that a horse had trampled the man to death, he asked the young man to send a servant to help him, quote, take up the corpse. End quote.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: The young man answered that he would have to speak to the heads of the parish first. Joseph replied, Quote, Let them take me, hang me. I am no runaway. I shall not dishonor my family. End quote. Hmm. The young man then went to fetch his father, also believing that Joseph was guilty of murder. It's believed that Luis was killed before dawn on January 27th, 1763, with a dung fork to the skull.
0: Jeez.
1: I know. Can you imagine?
0: Uh, I hope it was a quick death. Like, as soon as that happened, you were like, your soul was like, yep, bye. And <laughs> peace out. Nothing else. <sighs>
1: there was no evidence to tie Joseph to the murder and no witnesses to him being in the stables the night in question. The trial was quickly devolving into a lot of he said, she said from the witnesses that were called to testify, and it Perfect. would only get worse. Awesome. Francois Bouchard, the eldest of Marie's daughters from her first marriage, stated that her mother had come to visit Joseph at seven o'clock the night of the murder, and both Joseph and his wife were in bed when she arrived, but she still had a conversation with them. She then warmed herself by the fire before heading home. Francois shared that she only learned of her stepfather's death when a worker came by early in the morning and told her. This testimony was immediately contradicted by Marie's mother, who testified that her daughter hadn't come to visit them on the night of the 26th. She'd come the morning Louise had been found dead. She was Mm. adamant that her version of events was true.
0: This is fun.
1: Yeah. Angelique... Marie's youngest daughter, who lived with her mother and stepfather, was called to testify next. She claimed that her stepfather had woken her up several hours before dawn and placed her in bed with her mother, telling her that he was going to the mill to work and he had the harness for the horse with him. Louise's brother Joseph, there's so many Josephs, was called to the stand and finally a motive was given. Several people had told him that his brother had told his wife, Marie, that he was going to go to the mill on January 27th. Okay. She replied, quote, are you taking my father's horse? Louis loudly told her that it was his horse as well. And after this, Marie rushed to her father's house. And Isabel, Joseph's maid, heard a great noise after that, which to her sounded like the horses were being beaten.
0: Oh, is that the horse's fault you guys can't decide who's the owner
1: yeah in the eyes of the court joseph had let his rage and dislike of his son-in-law consume him to the point that he confronted him in the stables and murdered him after this it was like all village gossip about how evil joseph and his daughter marie were was allowed into evidence
0: it was said
1: that joseph had killed marie's first husband by striking him with a curry comb here's the description so which i described earlier yeah It wasn't just Joseph's reputation that was being destroyed in court. Marie was also having her character assassinated. Mm -hmm. Several soldiers claimed that over the years, Marie had approached a number of them to ask them to beat up her husband. In exchange, she would offer sexual favors, but none of the men took her up on her offer. Even Claude, who had testified earlier against her father, shared that she often would make inappropriate advances towards him, and she was also a notorious drunk who would sell anything she could get her hands on in order to purchase more liquor. Oh, it's
0: very sad.
1: Yeah. As for the defense, lawyer Jean-Antoine Salien wasn't allowed to cross-examine the witnesses, but he did attack the fact that most of them had taken part in the false coroner's report calling into question how truthful their statements could now be if it was so easy for them to lie before. It's true. He also stated that Major Abercrombie's testimony should be thrown out, given that he had acted as judge previously during a number of quarrels between Joseph and Louise.
0: I mean, okay.
1: Well, because he would have been biased.
0: Yeah, I get that. But he also would have known more than anybody else.
1: That's true. Acting as a voice of reason, he also stated that the court shouldn't allow into evidence village gossip. Quote, if attention was paid to public clamor, many innocent people would be found guilty of whatever crimes gossip convicted them of. End quote. Very true. Furthermore, if threatening people during a disagreement was proof of guilt, then thousands of people would be considered murderers.
0: Character assassination would be murder. Mm Mm-hmm. Be a lot of lashings. Oh, yeah.
1: In regards to their character, Joseph had lived in the village of St. Vallee his whole life, and Marie had prior to her husband's death gone to Major Abercrombie pleading to leave her husband on the grounds of assault.
0: Yeah, I do remember that part.
1: There is no way he could have murdered Marie's previous husband, as he had died from the fever. And as for Marie herself, what evidence was there that she was an accomplice to murder?
0: She put more dung on the, the weapon.
1: She was just like, there's not enough dung on this fork. She buttered it up. On Wednesday, April 6th, 1763, 11 days after the inquest had begun, the court found Joseph guilty of murder and sentenced him to be hanged on April 13th. Marie was, quote, found guilty of knowing of the said murder. And doff therefore adjudge her to receive sixty lashes with the cat and nine tails upon her bare back at three different places under the gallows in Quebec's public market and in the parish of Saint Valier, twenty lashes at each place.
0: Ouch!
1: Her left hand would also be branded with the letter M
0: as murderer.
1: Yep. Isabel, her step niece, was found guilty of perjury and sentenced to thirty lashes, ten in each place that Marie would be punished, and she would also have her left hand branded with the letter p for perjury
0: so <laughs> it'd be a little different connotation now,
1: yep, as the carpenter built the gallows, Joseph, Marie, and Isabel waited in jail. Joseph spent that time stewing over the injustice of it all since he knew that he was no murderer, yeah. The night he was scheduled to be executed, Joseph snapped. He requested an audience with Governor Murray and stated that in exchange for a pardon, he'd tell him what really happened. Quote, it was Marie-Joseph Corriveau who killed her husband in his bed with a blunted hatchet that the night of the 26th of January, about 10 o'clock, this declarant being then in his bed, his daughter knocked at the window and said in a low voice, father come. When Joseph opened the door, she came in and told him Douji was dead. "How?" Joseph asked. "I killed him," end quote. "uh-huh." Joseph then shared the news with his wife before telling Marie to leave, calling her quote, "a vile wretch." End quote. Sure, Marie did as she was told before returning later, begging him to help her conceal the body by putting it into a sleigh so they could abandon it on the road. Later, he helped her drag the body into the stable. Murray had Marie brought from jail the next day to hear her father's testimony before she sadly confirmed that it was true. What? She had killed her husband and her father had only helped her move the body. After the body had been moved, she went home to burn the blood-soaked sheets and wash up any other evidence of her crime. Her daughter, Angelique, had woken up before she'd finished cleaning up. But other than her parents... No one else had known that Marie had murdered her husband.
0: That's crazy.
1: On April 14th, the court-martial had once again convened, and Marie pled guilty to the crime. As a result, the court sentenced her, quote, to suffer death for the same by being hanged in chains where the governor shall think proper, end quote. To add further insult, Marie was ordered to pay the ironmonger the cost for building her a cage. Joseph and Isabel were released without having to face any sort of punishment.
0: This is all bad.
1: As a result of how embarrassed the officers were for condemning an innocent man to die, even though his counsel had pointed out that the evidence against him didn't make sense, they decided to take out their frustrations on Marie. Perfect. That's appropriate. The practice of hanging in chains, also known as gibbeting, was a punishment that was usually reserved only for men and was the practice of hanging someone before rehanging them inside a metal cage.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: It's unknown where she was actually hanged, but it's believed that it was somewhere near the plains of Abraham at a place called Buta Nepvu, which was across the river from her home.
0: Oh, great. So she'd be able to see her house when she died.
1: Yep. Awesome. She was hanged on April eighteenth, 1763, and shortly after was taken to pointe le which is around 30 kilometers or 19 miles from her home, where she was gibbeted at the crossroads of Luzine and Bienville, a place that was frequently passed by travelers.
0: Hmm.
1: Her body was left on display for public view until at least May twenty-fifth, after oh, which... No. Governor Murray ordered that she be taken down and her body, cage and all, was buried in an unmarked grave at the local churchyard. The act of gibbeting Marie Corriveau showed all in Canada that the British were here, were in charge, and had no problem utilizing extreme force. If you think this was bad, it probably would have been worse once the British officially took over power in Canada. Awesome. Under English criminal law, she would have been charged with petite treason, which stood for murder aggravated by betrayal.
0: I'm sorry, but tiny treason sounds really cute, even yep. though it wouldn't be
1: at all. Oh, I'm sorry. It's pettit treason. There's no okay.
0: <laughs> it's like petite treason, the tiny treason. I only kind of made treason. It's fine. Little baby treason.
1: This charge was used in three specific circumstances. If a okay. cleric murdered his superior if a servant murdered their employer, or if a mm-hmm. wife killed her husband.
0: Wow, so let's categorize them in the same spot. That's fun.
1: Mm-hmm. So basically, if you're kind of owned by somebody else. Awesome. If a husband murdered his wife, he'd be hanged, then dissected, while women murderers would have been burned alive at the stake under the sentence of petted treason.
0: Yeah, because they're witches, you know.
1: Yep. This law, which was put into place in 1351, wasn't officially abolished until 1828. Fun. Gibbeting, which I plan to go into more detail on in a future episode, was an English invention that definitely left a lasting impression on anyone who happened upon the metal cage containing human remains. Fun. The worst part of all of this is how Marie was vilified following her death. No one remembers how Louise abused her, and the villagers who mm-hmm. used to comment on how horrible he was now turned that gossip onto Marie. Perfect. Instead of dying from a fever, her first husband had now died after Marie had poured molten lead into his ear as he slept. Perfect. How
0: very Game of Thrones of her.
1: Yeah. And instead of having two husbands, now she suddenly had as many as seven, but had all died horrible deaths. Perfect. The last insult was that instead of there being 15 months between the time that her first husband had died and she had remarried her second, went down to three months, making her appear as if she'd been cheating on her first husband the whole time. Awesome. Meanwhile, her father Joseph returned to Saint-Valier. He received a royal pardon from King George III on August eighth, 1763, and -hmm. continued to live in the village until he died in 1795. By the time he passed, Marie was now known simply as La Corriveau, and the legend stated that her skeletal remains begged a traveler to take her to a satanic mass as she trapped the poor man within her bony embrace. Oh, her bony embrace. Perfect. Yes. She's dead. Yep. And all that's left is her bones, apparently. Yep. Travelers went out of their way to avoid the sight of where she had been gibbeted, fearing they'd be attacked by her ghost. Other legends state that instead of a Christian burial, her corpse hung at the crossroads for years until the devil himself claimed it. The legend of Marie was also used by mothers as a form of boogeyman.
0: So she essentially kind of turned into like a Bloody Mary-like figure. Mm -hmm. Cool.
1: Marie's memory continued to be warped through time after oral history transformed into written word, starting with historian Philippe Albert du Gaspi, who had book Leonchon Canadien that was published in eighteen sixty three. Each telling of her story removed more and more details of the real life woman, leaving out how she'd been beaten to the point that she'd begged the British to allow her to leave her marriage. Yep. Local folklore hit another fever pitch in eighteen forty nine when Marie's cage was unearthed in the Saint Joseph de la Pointe du Levy graveyard. Mm-hmm. The cage was originally placed in the church cellar, but it wasn't long before it disappeared, presumed stolen, and legend states that it was sold to P.T. Barnum for his traveling sideshow museum. Gross. I hope that's not true. The cage was put on exhibit in Montreal and New York with a simple plaque that read, quote, from Quebec, end quote, as early as August 1851, so two years after it was dug up. I hate it. The LaVie Historical Society assumed it had been lost in a fire until it was discovered at the Peabody Essex Museum in Salem, Massachusetts, who had taken possession of it around 1899.
0: Awesome. You know who needs a cage?
1: Salem. Yep. Unlike the cages that that can be seen in modern movies, the harness that held Marie's remains was very small, barely five feet tall, and essentially a metal frame that wrapped around her body to keep it together as it decayed. Awesome. The legend of La Corriveau is still a popular and well-known folktale in Quebec, with versions of her story detailed in books, operas, songs, art, and more. Great. And that is the story of Marie Corriveau. I hate it. hmm
0: That's really sad. Mm-hmm. <sighs> People are trash. Yeah. Oh my god, John, were you up on Wikipedia all night? John, are you okay? You're you're shaking. You guys, you will not believe what I just read on Wiki. Welcome to Reddit on Wiki, the poorly researched, semi-funny podcast on random stuff we find on the internet. Wh- who are you talking to? And why are you shaking so much? Subscribe to Reddit on Wiki on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Sh- sh- Sean, I- I'm scared. Me too, buddy. Me too.
1: On a lighter note, this week's podcast plug is the Reddit (laughs) on Wiki podcast.
0: Reddit on Wiki.
1: Hosted by John, the former host of the Dumbfound Dead podcast, Josh from Let's Start a Cult, and Sean from Shots and Thoughts, they scour Reddit and Wikipedia, poorly researching topics for your entertainment. Sounds perfect. Each week, a different host covers a fun and interesting topic, sometimes with some erotic fan fiction thrown in.
0: Yeah, I mean, why not? It is Wikipedia. Yeah. You should get wiki feet in there, and then you got a real, you got a (laughs) smorgasbord, a charcuterie plate of chaos. Nice.
1: (laughs) And this week's listener question comes from the Complicit Podcast. Okay. And she wants to know, if you could solve one unsolved crime, what would it be? I know what yours would be. I might change mine. Really? I don't know. For funsies. Hmm. What
0: murder would I want solved? I mean, I really want to know officially who Jack the Ripper was. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, or the Zodiac, that's which we still good one. might be able to. Mm-hmm. Thanks to DNA, ancestry DNA, and all the other DNA groups. So
1: typically, I would say. The Hinch murders.
0: <laughs> that was what I was
1: going to say for you. Yeah. That's my usual answer. Mm-hmm. Another one that I'm interested in learning what really happened would be the Black Dahlia murder.
0: Yeah, that's a good one.
1: That'd be a good one. Because it
0: was so precise and so intricate. And there's mm-hmm. so many people who are like thoroughly convinced it was their relative that did
1: it. hmm Yeah.
0: That's a good question. Thank you for that. Thank you.
1: (laughs) So what's something good you'd like to share this week?
0: Something good I'd like to share is, so I'll do a little mini apartment update. Mm -hmm. Did I tell you about we've changed the theme of my office slash occasional child's room? Mm -mm. So originally we had a plan of doing My Neighbor Totoro because Mm -hmm. that was the preferred theme at the time. Mm -hmm. It has now since upgraded to Pokemon.
1: Fan favorite.
0: So one thing that we were really kind of sad about was we found this really fun My Neighbor Totoro sleeping bag kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so we were a little heartbroken that we couldn't do that. But instead, they have a Snorlax version of it. So And it was like... Way more accessible and affordable as well. Mm-hmm. So it should come today, but we're going to get, it's like a king sized mattress of
1: Snorlax. I know I've seen pictures of it and I was like, I kind of want a Snorlax bed and, I, and I'm 38 years old.
0: <laughs> I'm very excited to have that in my office for naps. Cause you know, yeah. I'm going take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. But one thing too, that we wanted to do. So my partner really wanted to do like like a minimalistic mural of like Totoro's belly. hmm And now that that's out of, the, out of question, we still wanted to do like an accent wall. And we found these really cool, I wish I knew who the artist was. I'm going to try to find out. There are these minimalist Pokemon wallpapers. And there's this really cool Gyarados one mm. where like the majority of the wall is like this rich kind of teal color. Mm-hmm. And then you you have, it like pops out his scales and his teeth and like his whiskers and stuff. Nice. So we're going to spend some time and hopefully kind of paint that out. But it'll be my background <laughs> for all of nice. my like, work stuff. So hopefully the like high-end professionals I work with <laughs> won't care. <laughs> I might do like a Zoom background just in case. <laughs> but like, yeah, I work with some kind of high-end clients. And I don't know if they'd they just think it would be like a cool dragon in the background or if they would know that it was actually Gyarados.
1: Yeah, depending on if they have children that were into Pokemon, they might be like, oh, nice Pokemon. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. It was tough to pick because she does like yellow too. Her favorite color is yellow. And, but we couldn't find a good... We didn't want to do Pikachu. A yellow background is kind of harsh in general. And mm-hmm. a blue a blue wall will be nice and calming. So Mm -hmm. that's what we're going to do. We've been planning that and the Snorlax bed has been a long time coming. So we're stoked to get that and like stuff it full of polyfill and sleep on it. We just need to figure out like what kind of blankets do you put on the Snorlax?
1: (laughs) I'm sure you could find some like Pokemon bedding or like a big comforter or something to go on. it.
0: They have those like pillow buddies And we were thinking about doing, there's like an Eevee pillow buddy. Mm -hmm. It's like a pillow, but we'll see. I also thought about doing like a a leaf comforter. So like you were sleeping under the stars with Snorlax. All right. What about you? What's
1: one good thing for you? I went to my favorite place in the world yesterday. Where'd you go? Ikea. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. I needed to pick up some stuff that I've been putting off like I wanted to get a new slip cover for the futon that's in my office. Mm -hmm. And they had one in a color that I like that's 30 bucks as opposed to the 130 bucks the other ones are. Yep. So it's a steal. And I picked up a couple of other random things because you can't go to Ikea and just get one thing. You know, you find a bunch of other things you want and need
0: when you're there. Including like the weird food that like, you think you like, but you mostly just like there because it's part of the experience.
1: Yeah, we had, I went there with my youngest. We had like a mother-daughter day and we did nice. eat lunch there. And of course I had to get the Swedish meatballs meal. And
0: how was the line?
1: It was so long.
0: Yeah. It was so long. The last time my partner and I went there to get some basic stuff and we were like super hungry. We we're like, yeah, okay, we'll eat at the cafeteria. The line was wrapped around the cafeteria like normal plus it was down all the way like past the seating and it was to
1: the escalator oh my god ours wasn't that long it was like it it was like halfway through the actual like seating area and because they only had one lane open and I was like yeah what the hell why don't you have both lanes running like there's so many people here that want to (laughs) eat And then they know. finally opened the second lane after we were already like trapped where we were basically like very close to getting the trays to move through the line. So I was like, we're staying here. I can't fit my body yeah. through that tiny gap to get over to the other side. And we've already committed. We've been waiting this long. It's fine.
0: Yeah. No, we had to give up. And so we we bought the chicken meatballs to eat at home and it just wasn't the same.
1: Yeah. There's something about eating them there. They're not as good. I don't know what they do with it, but it was good. There's something about the the gravy and the mashed potatoes.
0: Yeah, because there's nothing like super spectacular about it, but it's so satisfying when you're there in the moment.
1: It is. It was so good. I ate all of it except for one thing of broccoli because it kind of terrified me. (laughs) It was like this giant thing of broccoli, and I was like, I don't even know how I would cut that to eat it. So I just didn't eat it.
0: (laughs) I mean... Do what you need to do.
1: And my youngest and I shared one of the toffee cake whatever things that are made okay. with the Dame candies.
0: Nice. It was so
1: good. It's Damn. got like the wafer filling and stuff like that. It was so good. Oh, I love anything with a wafer filling. Yeah. And I got a giant stuffed shark, which I'm super pumped about. And she wanted the koala because it was like a mom mm-hmm. koala with like her little baby. And I was like, sure, why Cute. not? Cute. And. After we were done, just had a good day. we went and got boba, which is nice. always good, and went home and just kind of hung out. And it was a good day. It was a That's good awesome. day. I love Ikea. I could literally spend hours there. And we did. We spent like two hours there because of like <laughs> lunch. But yeah. once we like were going through and getting the things that we needed, we were probably only there for like a half hour. On that note, you can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod, on Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast. We're on YouTube. We are close to being able to have our own vanity URL. You have to have at least 50 subscribers to do that. So if you oh. have not subscribed to our YouTube channel and you do go on YouTube and you do like listening to things on YouTube, please subscribe so we can have a vanity URL because apparently that's really important to me. And <laughs> new Thanks. discovery. If you'd like to send us something in the mail, you can do so at Yield Crime Podcast, P.O. Box 341, Wyoming, Minnesota 55092. You can also email us at Yield Crime Podcast at gmail.com. We are still accepting submissions for our Halloween episode. So if you have any spooky stories, paranormal encounters, if you saw a cryptid, which would be fan like amazing, send yeah. your stories in. We did get. A submission from our friend John over at the Everyone Dies in Sunderland podcast. Really? Yeah. Hi, John. So I'm excited to read that one to you because it's pretty messed up. We
0: still need to have him for a show. We need to have them all on.
1: Yep, I know. He we was... To
0: tell us a messed up story.
1: Yeah, he, he was like gently prodding me like, when are we going to be on your show? And I was like, I'm sorry. Let's get something on the calendar. So... <laughs>
0: Never. I'm busy. Just kidding. <laughs> I, don't I don't have over. time for you. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't have time.
1: <laughs> Get over it.
0: I'm still in the IKEA cafeteria line. I don't, <laughs> like, I don't. I'm still waiting for my meatballs. I'll live I, here the second I finish my meatballs.
1: Yep. Yeah. A great way to support the show if you can't do so financially is to leave us a five-star rating and review. You can do it on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods. I know there are some other platforms that I have forgotten to mention. And this one comes from Apple Podcasts from LoopMM. And they say, unique stories, exclamation point. I love their back and forth while reporting their stories. They are able to read each other's reaction really well, and it makes the stories flow really well. I also love that they are covering many cases that aren't as well known. So I'm hearing a lot of new stories. This is a great listen. Cindy from the Welcome to the Neighborhood podcast. So thanks, Cindy.
0: And also thank you for welcoming us to the neighborhood with your title.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Perfect. If you are willing and able to support us financially, you can do so with a one-time donation on Buy Me A Coffee. You can Mm -hmm. also join our Patreon for as low as a dollar a month where you can get early ad-free access to all of our episodes. That includes our cramp word episodes. You can mm-hmm. also support us at the five, 10 and $15 tiers to get some extra benefits. You can also purchase merch on our Tea public store. There is no sale this week, but October is coming. So I'm sure uh-huh. there's going to be some fun sales. Boops, Boop. Whoop, whoop. And this is the last week that you can purchase our birthday merch designs before we switch over to fall. So I have some fun merch ideas in store. uh
0: Does it involve what's that color of green that caused all the issues?
1: Oh, shields green. Shields green. Maybe I'll make a shirt that you can only get with green. You can only get it on green. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like different shades of like emerald green or like. Like a bright Kelly green, dark green, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh I want that shirt now. Yes. Okay. Just like this beautiful woman whose like face is melting into like a skeleton.
1: Okay. I'll see if I can make that and happen.
0: Bathe me in green.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Death green.
0: Asbestos is all the
1: rage. Yes. I heard lead's a good thing. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale as all this crime.